Okay, so we are, uh, once again, we're going to be talking about discipleship tonight. Uh, Last week, we talked about the cost of discipleship. I'll just uh, recap a little bit. Um, It's fairly simple truth that we talked about last week, that discipleship costs everything. Uh, If you are going to be a disciple of Jesus, if if you're going to learn from him, you have to really lay everything else aside. Uh, Leave behind who you were and uh, follow Jesus. And uh, the other thing that we looked at last week was, so that's the cost of discipleship, but there's also uh, the value of Jesus, that relative to his worth, his worthiness, um, it really is a joy then to leave everything behind. Um, So that was a a, a truth about discipleship that I think is very important. It always has to be rooted in you really seeing who Jesus is. And so we said our reading assignment for the next month is going to be read Scripture, read the Gospels, read any Scripture that you want, really. Uh, but looking for the value of Jesus, looking for the, the Father to, by the Holy Spirit, speak to your heart, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Right? And the Father loves to reveal His Son to people. Uh, tonight... Uh, I, well, last week I, re- I recommended that if you don't know where to start, to, to go to, to start in Mark or any of the Gospels, but particularly Mark. I think it, it's a good uh, Gospel to, to hear about discipleship. Um, so I'm going to be talking about uh, Mark uh, from the middle of Mark, one of my favorite chapters in all of the Bible, uh, Mark 8. Um, but tonight, so tonight the, the title, if you will, or the topic is Discipleship in One Easy Lesson. Discipleship in One Easy Lesson. Uh, so if you want to turn to Mark 8, I'll explain this. If, if you're going to be spending any more time in the book of Mark, you should know a little bit how it's structured. Uh, it's really two halves, all right? And the middle part is a crucial section. So the first half is uh, Jesus calling the disciples and doing all kinds of things, uh, kind of explaining what, uh, what he's about, showing them, you know, healing the sick, casting out demons, displaying the glory of God, teaching with authority, uh, confronting the empty religion and, and revealing the true heart of the Father to people. And chapter 8 is sort of a watershed moment in the book of Mark. Uh, Jesus really gets down to who his disciples uh, see him as, whether they really understand who he is. And then the rest of the book uh, from there on is him showing them the real heart of the gospel and the real nature of the kingdom, uh, mainly by going to the cross and uh, going to Jerusalem and the events of Holy Week. But chapter 8 is really the hinge point in the book of Mark, where he starts to uh, confront his disciples with the truth of who he really is, and particularly the nature of his mission. So um, it opens up with the feeding of the 4,000, and there's this interesting part at the end of that story, starting in verse 14. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they only had one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began, discussing with one another, uh, they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. Right? So he was using this, he was speaking metaphorically, and they start to, oh no, he's getting on us for not having bread. Right? And uh, Jesus, aware of this, said to them, 
Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? And this is precisely the the state of the disciples at this point. They really don't get Jesus. They're following him, but they really don't understand who he is and what he's about. Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? Um, When I broke the five loaves for the five thousands, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, twelve. And the seven for the four thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? So their, their minds are still not in the right place. Okay, and this becomes more and more evident as the chapter goes on. Um, Emily pointed out this story last week, and it, she was like, what, what's the point of that story? And it's a really cool story in context when you understand what's going on. So there's a perception problem, an understanding problem on the part of the disciples that Jesus is going to get around to addressing. But here is a story about a blind man. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought him to a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spat on his eyes and laid his hands on him and asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see men, but they look like trees walking. There's a healing and there's sight, but it's not quite right yet. Right? And this is metaphorical of the, the, where the disciples are. They've, they can kind of see, but it's not all the way there. And then Jesus has to, to do another thing. He, he, laid his eyes, he laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And interesting, that's the only healing miracle, the only healing of the blind. There's a few in Scripture, but it's the only one where it's, it didn't quite go all the way the first time. And it's really interesting because the disciples' eyes are being slowly opened to the truth of who Jesus is. All right? So all of this is, is where the book of Mark is heading. And the crux of it is right here. And Jesus went on. Uh, this is verse 27. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples. Now, these are his disciples. Okay, and you could say that they have counted the cost and they have left everything and followed him. All right, but now the work of discipleship is, is truly beginning. Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. And others say, Elijah. And others, one of the prophets. You could say, they see trees and they look, or they see trees, but they look like men walking. They, they don't quite see. There's, there's glimpses and shadows but it's not a full revelation of who he is. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ or the Messiah, right? And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Now, here's discipleship in one easy lesson. This is is what Jesus then says, and he began to teach them. And what what is discipleship other than learning from Jesus how to live life? Okay. This is his disciples. He began to teach them. Classes in session. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly. 
Discipleship in one easy lesson. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. This is a really strong word in Greek. I mean, he was, he was getting in Jesus' face. He began to rebuke him. This isn't how it's going to be. Their minds were in one place. When they, said, when, when, they, when they said, you are the Christ, they had in mind an earthly king, right? Someone like David who's going to come and restore the glory of the kingdom of Israel. And we're going to achieve that prominence once again. But the kingdom of God is much, much different. Right? That was pointing to some truth. But the kingdom of God is very different than they were expecting. So yes, they believe he's the Christ, but they're not quite sure what the Christ really is and what his life is like. And Jesus says it as plainly as he can, right? He's not pulling any punches. He's not hiding anything from them. It says, and he said this plainly. Yep, son of man must die, must go, be rejected, and after three days, rise again. So Peter began to rebuke him, but turning and seeing his disciples... Right? Jesus sees this as an opportunity to teach his disciples. He rebuked Peter (laughs) and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And so the lesson was not learned by Peter at this point. His mind was still off. His, his mind still needed to learn. And calling to the crowd, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and with his holy angels. All right, so he has said it as plainly as he can. Here's what it looks like to be like me. This I am teaching you how to live life. Look at my life. And Peter, after the lesson, rebukes Jesus. And Jesus locates the problem. He says, your mind isn't there yet. You do not understand yet. So he says, here's what it takes. You need to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Um, taking up your cross, so denying yourself, uh, if you look at the, um, the way that the words are, English doesn't really do it justice, but denying yourself, that's like a, that's a momentary thing. That's a, a point in time. You make a decision, right? That's like they, them leaving the nets and going, right? There's a point at which you leave and go. Taking your cross, um, 
Luke adds, take up your cross daily. So taking up your cross is not a one-time thing. Taking up your cross is a continual process. Following me, obviously, that's a continual thing. So there's a denial of self, but then there's a process by which you embrace death to yourself. All right, and this is the position that the disciples were in. They hadn't yet learned how to embrace their cross because Jesus was about to show them. And after he had shown them, then it would make sense what that really means. Okay, but he says ahead of time, and it's interesting to me that he even knows the way he's going to die. I mean, he even uses the cross language at this point. He says, if you're going to come after me, you have to take up your cross. And what is the cross? I think it's always important to remember what the cross is. The cross is not anything that's done to you. All right? The cross is a choice you make to embrace the will of God against your own will. Okay? Um, there are lots of challenges that life brings our way. There is some suffering that happens. There is pain, there is sorrow, there is grief. That's not part of the cross. Okay, that's part of just being a part of the, the human people, right? That's part of the human condition. But the cross is an act of the will to embrace something that God has said to do when your own will doesn't want to do it. Okay, and the best example in the life of Jesus, I think, is in the Garden of Gethsemane when he says, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Okay, so always remember that the process of taking up your cross isn't just, you know, heading into work one more time and dealing with that difficult person. No, it's, it's embracing actively uh, the opportunities that God puts in front of you to lay down your life of your own accord. Okay? So, all right. In other words, you can never be a victim of the cross. You always choose the cross, or else it's not the cross, okay? And it, that's very important. Jesus chose the cross. He chose it. He had authority to lay down his life. Okay, so we see that it's an issue of the mind. They understand the Christ. They've left everything. They've followed him. They're even called his disciples at this point. But they really don't understand the cross, And that's the lesson that really all of discipleship revolves around. You leave everything to follow Jesus. What does he teach you? What is the lesson of discipleship? How to lay down your life. And Jesus said it's discipleship in one easy lesson. (laughs) But it's the hardest lesson to learn. Because our minds are so wired against that. All right? We live in... He mentions there's two worlds, okay? There's the world of this adulterous and sinful generation. And there's the world of when he comes in glory, the glory of his father and with the holy angels. Okay, and our minds can be in one world. And if your mind is in this world, this adulterous and sinful generation, the cross, the message of the cross is going to elicit in you a rebuke. No! Why would anyone do that? That's not how it's... That's not what... That's not my best life now. (laughs) That's not how I'm supposed to live. That doesn't look like anything. I thought this was a good good life. Why would... Why 
Why? Why would I lay down my life? Why would I leave all this behind? And it's the same thing as kind of that sorrow that the rich young ruler felt. Sell everything, leave it. Oh, man. His mind is in this sinful and adulterous generation. But there's another mind that looks to the resurrection, that looks to the coming of Jesus. And that says that this life is nothing. We are living an eternal life. When we follow Jesus, we enter into an eternal life. And so he says, if you're ashamed of me and of my words, if you recoil at the message of the cross, well, I'm going to recoil from you when I come back. Because your mind is in this present age. But if you embrace that, if you say, yes, that's really what life is, then when the Son of Man comes in his glory, in the glory of his Father with the holy angels, there will be a wonderful moment of, of you are mine and I am yours. So the lesson is the lesson of the cross. And when we give ourselves to learn from Jesus, that's what he begins to teach us. That's mainly what, his, uh, what the training of discipleship involves. Learning how to lay down your life. It's not really learning how to, you know, be familiar with Scripture, learning a program of being able to initiate people into the church, learning how to uh, lead a home group. Or... All of that is subject to whether you understand the cross or not. Everything that God wants you to do, everything that God wants you to accomplish is going to be in the manner of the cross. And that is the lesson of discipleship. So as soon as his disciples say, you're the Christ, we're following you. He says, all right, let me tell you about life. (laughs) In this world, here's what it means. It's denying yourself, taking up your cross and following me. Um, I want to read a few other passages of scripture that get at this uh, that get at this point that describe the present age and how it really deceives our minds into, into understanding this lesson of discipleship. Second uh, Timothy two, and with so with this with this big thought in mind, just listen to echoes of it through these uh, few passages. Second Timothy two, oh, I'm sorry, Second Timothy three. Start in verse 1. What? Oh, yeah, 2T22, two, 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 yeah. <laughs> I guess I need to explain that. Um, 2 Timothy 2.2 two is a basically a verse that describes the, the process of making disciples. And, um, we had a whole UCF retreat once on 2 Timothy 2.2. 2, and I don't know who it was, but they said, yeah, he's like, an easy way to remember it is just 2T2.2. Two, 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 two. <laughs> we never forgot. It worked. 2T2.2. Two, two, two. Anyway, we're in 2T3.1. <laughs> But understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self. And this is, this is what this present age, this is where our minds begin as the disciples of Jesus, and this is where he needs to retrain our minds, all right? 
People will be lovers of self. He calls us to deny ourselves. Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Having the appearance of godliness, right? So these aren't people that look like heathens. These are people that look like decent people. But at the heart of it, they don't embrace the cross. They're lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. They deny its power. And the real power of godliness is the power of the resurrection. Right? When you refuse to die, deny yourself, when you refuse to lay down your life in the way that Jesus teaches us when we become his disciples, you are denying the power that enables you to live an actually godly life. Ephesians 4. Uh, Ephesians 4.17. Now, this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality. Greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. That's not the way that he disciples us. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Right? That's, that's a picture of discipleship in one easy lesson. You were taught how to die to yourself and put on Christ. And it results in a change of the mind. Right? Jesus rebuked Peter for having his mind set on the wrong things. And here it's described as your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life. Okay? Jesus calls us out of that former manner of life. Philippians 3. Not the part that we usually quote when we go to Philippians 3. Uh, verse 18. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. You hear that? Many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross. I would say, I think that there 
are many who are not enemies of church, not enemies of religion. They're not enemies of Christianity, but they are enemies of the cross. The cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. (laughs) What they want. They glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. It's a different world. We operate in a different place. Our mind is in a different reality. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. Amen. Amen. You hear that? We work so hard on perfecting our lowly bodies by getting all we can and consuming all we can. And we think that's that ultimately that we just need to make our body, our life, the best that we can. When you live in the kingdom, when you learn the lesson of the cross, you learn the freedom in being able to just give your life away. Lay down your life. Deny yourself. Because he's going to transform the whole thing anyway. He's going to transform your lowly body. Not going to give you a few extra moments of pleasure in this life. No, the whole thing is going to be transformed. To be like his glorious body. In this life, in the midst of this generation, what it means to live like Christ is to... Listen to his lesson and embrace the cross. That's what it looks like. It doesn't look like much. It looks like so little that we might even consider rebuking the person who told us what life is supposed to be like. <laughs> That's not how it's supposed to be. That's fa- that looks like failure. No. If you learn that lesson, your citizenship will get transferred from this sinful and adulterous generation to heaven and you will be awaiting from heaven a savior the Lord Jesus Christ isn't that awesome he will be crucified he will be killed but on the third day he will rise that's part of the lesson it's the resurrection yes the cross but what does the cross mean it means death and resurrection embrace the cross so that you can experience the power of the resurrection. So, that's the lesson. When we count the cost and forsake everything and see the value of Jesus and go after him, he begins to teach us about life. He begins to teach us how to live in this world. Remember we said discipleship is learning how to live now the way Jesus would live if he were you. And he'll begin to teach you. All right? Where I go, (laughs) what I do is I lay my life down. I embrace the cross. I allow myself to be killed. I allow my life to be broken and poured out. And if we go, oh, no, well, that's not, that's not what you, that's not what. And he'll say, get behind me, Satan. Right? The enemy's always there. To rise up and say, no, that's not the way. 
And we need to embrace the way and, and, and take up our cross and say, no, <laughs> nevertheless. It doesn't mean we have to really like it. Oh, yay, we get to die on a cross. Jesus didn't. He said if there's any other way. He was in anguish. But he said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And that's who we are. That's, how, that's what he teaches us to do. Okay? He doesn't teach us how to be rock stars when we're his disciples. He doesn't teach us how to, be, uh, how to win friends and influence people. He teaches us how to lay down our lives. And he teaches us how to embrace the cross and follow him. And if that's shameful to us, if that's not what we signed up for, then he says, well, then I'm going to be ashamed of you when I come back. Because that's how I lived my life in this world. And if you're my disciples, that's what's in store for you. But man, there is such glory and resurrection and power on the other side of that. We have such a greater hope if we in this life turn from those things that all the world goes after. Pleasure, selfishness, our own ambitions, our own idea of the good life. There's so many ways that this world just wants to grab a hold of you and say, it's about you. Everything needs to revolve around you. There's so many insidious ways. And Jesus calls us out of all of those. So the life that Jesus calls to calls us to his disciples, and we need to know this, it makes no sense to our sinful minds. Right? It will make no sense to the mind of your flesh. But that's where, in the process of discipleship, as we give ourselves to understand Jesus and see him and receive his word, that's where our minds become renewed. Do not be conformed, says Romans 12, do not be conformed from the outside to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that is discipleship. In one easy lesson. So much like we talked about last week, we, don't, we can't really get a glimpse of the cost of discipleship or the value of Jesus without the help of God. We also need to realize that we, we can't really understand the, the, the lesson of the cross without his help. We need to ask him to teach us. And we need to resist sometimes the, the protest it comes up in us. Well, you couldn't possibly mean this. Right? We need to hear Jesus rebuke those things and say, no, that's you wanting to preserve your life. Whoever seeks to preserve his life is going to lose it eventually. If you want to just top off your life with what you think is good, it's not going to work. But if you lose your life for my sake, you'll actually discover what you were always created to be. Amen? So, I think it's fitting that we end with communion. What are we doing in this? We are proclaiming our Lord's death until he comes. That's what we do. Every time we come to the table, Scripture says we proclaim our Lord's death until he comes. Until he comes, right? We proclaim that this is it. This is the lesson. We're learning from Jesus. We're seeing how he laid his life down for us. And we are learning how to lay down our lives for each other and for the world. And when he comes, everything that the world sees as shameful and ridiculous and, and losers and everything that our sinful mind says 
No, that's not the way it needs to be. That's not what the good life is. It's all going to be flipped. And the light's going to be shed on everything. And those who really did embrace the cross are going to be raised in glory. And those who were enemies of the cross are going to live in shame. All right? And so we proclaim proudfully <laughs> that our Lord died. That he didn't ascend and climb the ladder and conquer his enemies. He went down. And therefore, God has highly exalted him. All right? When we give our lives up, then the power of the resurrection can really uh, be manifest in our lives.